Hey guys, welcome back to Just Friends, the podcast where I, your host, Mitchell Embry, sit down and have meaningful conversations with my friends and then I share those conversations with you, my friends. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined at the crib with my good friend, Brian Williams. Some of you know him from our time together at Starbucks, others of you only know him as my old roommate. Either way, you're in for a treat because we talk about both of those things as well as lots more about us and how we have grown since those times and what our lives are like now. It was a privilege to get to talk to him, and I hope you guys enjoy our conversation as much as we did. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my next friend, Brian Williams. You know, so we should set the stage because we met working at Starbucks, Dixie Highway and Carrick. Correct. Oh, yeah. Do you feel like the Starbucks era is defining for you in any way? Like, because for me, it definitely is. Now, let me ask like a follow-up question. Okay. So if we're saying like the Starbucks era, just like the time in which we were all there working together or just like Starbucks as an entity, the time that I worked there. Because you're right. There's something unique about the time. What is unique for me most about Starbucks was the opportunity that I had to make profound friendships with people while I was there. Right. Absolutely. And so I'm just curious if you, if do you, when you think back about it, what do you think? So, uh, and, and it's funny you bring that up as the first question because, you know, I work at a coffee shop now. Oh yeah. And so I oftentimes compare it to Starbucks yeah. in a lot of ways. And it's not even just like the workflow aspect because Starbucks was far and beyond busier than this coffee shop, right? This coffee shop is one of those shops that I actually have time to like sit back and just like be a person and like make connections with folks. Um, Whereas like at Starbucks, it was like, you might get time, like maybe 10 minutes after the morning rush where things calm down for a second and you can have convos and then jump back into the next thing that you gotta do. But there are times at the shop now that I have like hours on end sometimes to just kind of relax but i think when i think back to starbucks as far as like what it meant to me i think the thing that i have to really start with is where i came from when i came to starbucks so and this is something i think i talked about with Lindsay um whenever we first started working together because we started at the store in blankenbeck yeah she was there with me and so she was she's a dixie highway staple yes is Lindsay now johnson she was there when i started there yeah she's she's a relic she's gonna have her face on the wall in that starbucks oh, she swear. she's gonna have a bust so i remember in high school right like our bible study group would meet there and i just remember sitting there and it just seemed like so many of the folks that were behind the bar we're having like a great time connecting with one another. They were happy to be at work, or at least they pretended that way. <laughs> like I was like, oh wow, this looks like a place that people want to be, right? And so at the time, I was working at UPS, work a third shift, and I hated my life. Right, <laughs> I hated being up at one and two in the morning doing work, and then two, I just hated how disconnected people felt. Um, and so being there was just a lot of a burden of time spent just working, grinding, seeing the same exact people every single day, and then leaving at 5 a.m., sleeping, waking up a couple hours later, going to class, and it wasn't sustainable, right? And I'm like, I can't do this. I'm trying to go to class. I'm trying to be a human. This is not my gig. And so when I quit, I knew that I would be taking like a, a financial hit to work at Starbucks, but I thought that I was going to gain more of like a, a person, you know what I'm saying? Like I was going to be able to be more of myself because that's something that's like I always valued is being able to connect with people. Um, and so when I was at UPS, I saw the same workers every day and it was great to sort of build friendships with them. But there are days where I want to have a conversation with someone that I've never met before. Right. Or I want to be able to just talk about something and then a customer chimes in and they give us their opinion. And I'm like, now all of a sudden we have a three way conversation with the customer over something random. So like I can like bring them in and then that wall's kind of broken, but at UPS, we didn't have that. And so I was like, I need to get that back. And so watching the Starbucks folks during Bible study kind of like keyed me into, okay, like this might be a place that I want to get involved with. And it had nothing to do with coffee. I wasn't one of these people out here that's like, oh man, I love your drinks. I want to work here so bad because I can have all the frappuccinos I can ever dream of. Right now, I was like, I have no idea how to make any of this stuff at all. I just really want to talk to people and get paid for it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This seems like the place. It's really interesting that you make that point 
because I always remember you, you stood out because you were good at making connections with other people. Because some people don't want to do that. Some people want to get to work and do their job. And I think I was more that way uh, sometimes, depending on where I was at in terms of my emotional health at the time. But uh, I definitely remember that about you. And so, and but you know, Dixie Highway did have a a different vibe. And, and one of the things that I kind of think back about it um, and regret is I feel like I kind of carried a negative vibe into that place so often. <clears throat> and having like come away from that and really grown as a person and had experiences to where I've really started to kind of challenge my old way of thinking and, and, and I try to be more, I guess, aware of when I'm starting to become negative. Like I really regret (laughs) the way that I handled a lot of the situations and a lot of the relationships I had at Starbucks. But at the same exact time, I made some of the most meaningful relationships with people while I was there. Mike, I love Mike. He's a person that I'll maybe see every five years. Right. But every time I see him, Elena, when we went to New York City, I hadn't seen Elena in three years. And it was like I had seen her the day before was, Mitchie, I was like, Leonard. And the next thing you know, we're just right (laughs) back in it. And just the relationships that you can build with people. And I think it's because we suffered together. Yeah, there's this commiseration. There's this bond that kind of, I think, I feel like researchers have have built a term around that, that um, it's almost like when you're isolated on an island and there's this mutual, like, um, just experience of, awfulness you have to band around in that common experience right like i'm not the only one that sees that this is like bullshit all right i'm not the only one that's frustrated right and then you look at the person next to you and they're like i was thinking the same thing i just didn't want to say it and it's like oh cool so now we vibe and it's like yeah this shit is crazy and some of these customers are annoying turds yeah and there's <laughs> definitely something else to be said about because i feel like the people whom i bonded with most were also the people who were there with you in the trenches and were carrying their weight. Yes. And you guys were just going down together. Yes. I'll never forget this one time Elena and I were running the floor on like a Friday morning rush and somebody was running late and we were just running around like crazy, just sinking, just drinks piling up, the line getting longer. It's just the two of us. And she had this entire pitcher full of black tea that she had just made and she dropped it and it hit the ground and shot tea all over her face (laughs) and she just went oh my god and we lost our minds laughing (laughs) for like 10 minutes and so we're still scrambling around trying to get all this done but we're just cackling laughing because of just the ridiculousness of the situation that we're in and the helplessness that we have towards changing anything about it and when I think back to that moment, all I felt for her was just such, I felt so grateful that in that moment, as I was just utterly failing, that I was there with her and that she was in that experience with me because I knew she was doing everything that she could to change the situation. So was I. And so there was no shame in the fact that we were, we were just going down with the ship. And and then, you know, things turned themselves around and eventually the situation improved as it, it always does. Um, but in that moment, like a bond was forged and I, and for the rest of my life, I will love her. And it's just really interesting because for me, a lot of the relationships that I have that I think of that way come from Starbucks and you're one of them. And then uh, we worked at Starbucks for a while. Then we lived with each other, which was an True. interesting... It was an interesting time. I often forget about that summer. You were the best roommate I've ever had in my life. I had <laughs> I to appreciate sucked. that. I bet I No, sucked. not at all. It was. It actually worked out pretty well because um, I felt like our schedules were pretty like opposite. And so for the most part, I'm a low-maintenance person anyway. And so you could honestly have walked around here butt naked, hollering obscenities, and I might still not have complained. I might have just sat in the room and been like, well, that's unfortunate. But, yeah, well, he's, he's really giving me a deal, and then I don't have to be at home <laughs> with my parents. So, But that's I'll the thing it. about it. That's that's part of the reason why like, I felt like I was being a bad roommate because you, you would isolate yourself a little bit, and I didn't right. want you to. I wanted you to feel like this place is yours as much as it is mine. Right. 
And I have a terrible habit of doing but that. I didn't know how to make you feel that way either. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not possible. And I'm and I'm that way now, which is ironic that I think about that as you bring that up. Is I have a roommate now mm-hmm. in Memphis, and it feels the same way. A lot of times, I'll kind of just be in my room, um, and we don't spend a whole lot of time in the common spaces together. And it's not because I don't want to. Um, this is something I recognize about myself is like oftentimes I retreat um, because I think that there's something more for whatever reason meaningful that i need to be doing mm-hmm. than connecting with people mm-hmm. right and that's not true i've just put myself in this box as and ah, i need to spend this free time working and so it wasn't you it was like all right i gotta be in my room doing something it has to be purposeful i can't just sit on the couch and wait for someone to go home come home and just be like hey you want to talk for an hour seems but like that i could but i'll be like no that's not purposeful well it seems like Ridiculous. that served you pretty well because you've uh, I mean, like, I feel like as you pursue your career and as you are just like kind of navigating through your life, like mm. you're learning a lot about yourself and you're growing yeah. as an individual and like you seem fully self-actualized to me, which is like, I feel like I'm sl- getting to that place and, and, um, I'm, I'm aware that I need to be growing and that I need to be, um, trying to be more intentional about the decisions that I make and be more purposeful in how I spend my time. But I don't have those habits built in Right. where I've seen you, I've seen you prepare for a, a wedding that you were going to DJ or I've seen you prepare lessons and you're just much more focused. And I struggle with that more. Do you consider yourself introverted? You know, that's something that I've tried to figure out about myself for a long time because I, think I had an incorrect definition of introvert versus extrovert for a long time until someone sort of reframed it for me. And um, I think it was like a psycho uh, social class, social psychology class, excuse me, um, that I always thought the notion of introvertedness was that you just didn't want to be around people. Right. And then extroverts are people that always want to be around people. And so I would sort of liken myself to say that I was an extrovert, at least back in high school, because I wanted to be around people. Um, and then when that kind of changed, when I got to college, I was like, man, have I, have I changed? And then someone sort of explained that it out. It's like extroverts just get energy from being around people and introverts get energy from being not around people. Right. And so that's sort of like the actual dichotomy. Right. And so once I figured that out, I'm like, ah, so I, I, I would, I wouldn't call myself an introvert. Um, I would just say that I'm a millennial and I feel like that's the millennial thing is now is like, we have our like hour that we can stand to be at a party. Right. There's been like SNL skits about that where there's, um, like how do you exit out of a party at 8 PM? Right. Like I'm like Jim from the office and I'm like, Oh, my apartment's flooded. I got to (laughs) leave the dinner party. Sorry. Right. Like (laughs) I'm having a good time, but I can only handle so much of that before I'm like, I just want to be home doing nothing <laughs> do you feel like it's seasonal too because sometimes i feel like i really do need some time to myself and it it kind of depends on where i'm at in term in like my mental state just like how positive i'm feeling or or how negative i'm feeling if i'm feeling very positive then um or sometimes when i'm feeling negative i do need to go spend time with people in order to to feel positive mm-hmm. but when i've had a lot of challenging interactions with people sometimes the best thing i need is to just be by myself so also do kind of feel like it depends on your situation a little but yeah. and and it's weird for me to hear you talk about how you think you found reasons to avoid building relationships with other people because i feel yeah. like it's something you're really good at that's the irony of it yeah. all it's like i've, I've heard that um, from a lot of folks, I've heard it from you know uh, managers of Starbucks. I've heard yeah. that from my manager at the sh- the shop I work with. Yeah, a lot, of, a, a lot of people that. love you. That is true, and 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 Andrea says that all the time, and 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 that's the thing. It's like I, I recognize that, and I don't take that for granted, right? Like I recognize that, and and you know we've had conversations, um, Andrea and I, many times where I've literally just kind of like sat in the car with her and I'm like, I just want to like take a hot second to talk about how grateful I am to know the people that I've known in my life. And for some reason, continue to include me in things because for a large part of my life, I've never been the one that's like been the organizer. I've always been the person that's like, I'm just doing my thing and that people pour their souls out to me. Right. And it happens at work. I'm on register and I'm just asking you what kind of coffee you want. And then you start on a tangent and I engage and then floodgates open. 
And I think the reason why is still to this, like people want connection Mm -hmm. and I recognize that people want connection really bad. And so I'm always the type of person to listen to anyone. Right. And that'll get me locked in conversations. I may not intend to be locked into like a pyramid scheme. I almost ended up in (laughs) like a month ago is because I literally let a guy talk to me because I, I always think that like, man, people really want that. And at the end of the day, like I want that too. Um, but I think with, um, me, it's like, I've always put myself in places where that could happen and I haven't maybe taken full advantage of it. Um, and I think for other folks, they're not always in places where they can take advantage of that and they want that. Right. If that makes sense. I know it sounds kind of confusing, but I feel like I've always been in jobs or around people that Mm. I've always had the opportunity to talk. Right. Right. Teaching working at a coffee shop. Yeah. Um, being in school. Yeah. Um, growing up in a house of like six people. See, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you think your family has an impact on that part of your personality? The irony is I feel like my family a lot of times is like the complete polar opposite to me. I feel like I'm the unicorn of the family because I don't feel like my family's super social and they aren't. And I mean that as in like, they're never, they've never been the type of people to me to, engage in conversations when say for example like i or my older sister would bring like a new person around or like bring a friend alone to something my parents are never the ones that are like how's your mom all right or like how was school how was blah 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 it would always just be like we would all sit we would be silent and then i would have to like open the conversation i'm the one that has to kind of like lead the discussion and then people just kind of jump in um so i feel like i've always been different in that regard is it rough not living at home with your family like do you miss them in memphis um yes and no let me say that i miss the ability to come together with them and be around them pretty much anytime i want you know like even when i moved out and we lived together if i wanted to like get dinner with them on a friday or like go over to the house and like just like hang out with my little bro or little sister like that was nice and it was convenient and I remember you doing that a lot too. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I had to make it a point uh, because after I moved out, it's like, I don't wake up in my parents' house and I'm like, you know, Hey, good morning. It's like, I haven't seen you for a week. Right. So I miss that, uh, like the availability, but what I don't miss and nothing that I think I actually like more is how much closer we are once I moved. Right. Cause now I talk to my parents probably two to three times a week. Um, whereas, um, back when I was still here, I would talk to them maybe once a week. Um, but they knew, well, if we really want to talk to him, we could just go out to dinner on Friday and he would come and I'd be like, yeah, I'll come. Whereas now it's like, I might see you in July, might not be till September. And so I have to like call and connect with you and talk to you about what's going on in your life. I'm going to tell you what's going on in my life because I can't just like come over. So and you think yeah. the relationships have improved because of that. I think so. I think that they, I take advantage of when we come back together. Right. So like today, earlier today, when we go to lunch, um, we talk, right. I think that there was a lot, a lot of time where when I was still here, we would go to dinner and everyone's on their phones. Mm. right we're not really talking we're just there in 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 the flesh but we're not there emotionally spiritually or anything like that and i never want my time with people to be that way right because i think to myself i don't know how much how many more times how many more summers i'm gonna have on this earth and so because i don't know if i don't use this time wisely to connect with you i don't know if i'll get it again yeah i can really relate to that honestly because but being so close to my parents, like literally I could drive five minutes yeah. and I'd be at my parents' house. <laughs> True. I moved out when I was like 25 and suddenly I didn't have to interact with them on a daily basis and I didn't interact with them a lot um, because I needed that separation for them. Yeah. But then when I was ready to reach back out, they were so close. And now we've settled into a place where we're very, very comfortable. And I would say that my relationship awesome. with my family is better than it's ever been. Um, but that's really good. I wish we could have more meaningful conversations and I don't know if it's just because it seems like everyone's in a hurry and, and slowing down to really talk about something is challenging. And sometimes it's so easy when we're together to just shift back into that family mode. Like we're together all the time and we take each other's presence for granted. Yeah. 
and it's frustrating. There's a screen, the TV's on in the background, yeah. or somebody's got a phone in their hand, and I really do wish we could have those more meaningful connections, but it's really challenging. It is, and I think, again, that's something that um, comes with the ability to gather experiences like life experiences and then come back and talk about those. And I think that that's what I'm getting by being away is like so many things are happening to me in, in Memphis in my professional career and my relationship and so on and so forth. That when we come back together, I've gathered up like <laughs> at least two to three weeks of data points <laughs> or like things to talk about. And now I'm reporting them back to you. Let's talk about this. And then I'm getting stuff about you that I didn't even know. Right? I still learn stuff about my parents today that I didn't know about them when I was a kid. And I'm like, what you that was that happened why did i know and they were like yeah you were like maybe two years old or you weren't even born yet yeah i'm like whoa what and they're like yeah it just kind of it just made me think of that when you said x and i'm like man and so i'm like kind of living through some of those experiences even though my life's different that kind of overlap with what they've experienced and now we have these collection of things to talk about and so i think that stepping away uh, is honestly like sometimes the best time to at least like reinvigorate conversation um, because when you're away, you're like, man, like I really, I got these things that I'm trying to figure out and process. I really wish I had somebody that knew what I was talking about to talk with it about. And that's your partner. Right. Um, and so when you have your partner, it's like easy to do that. But then there's times where you're like, yeah, but my partner comes from a different life than I come from sometimes. Right. And so sometimes this is an experience that I don't know if they'll fully understand, they need a little bit more context but my parents know me mm. right they've known me my entire life and so when i talk about this experience they have a little bit more context than my partner does um and that's not again a bad thing about your partner it's just like you know the different life that you all live yeah and yeah that's such a perfect segue because <clears throat> because you talked so much about the perk the, the unexpected perk of being in Memphis, the, how your relationship with your parents has improved. And you also talked a lot about your partner. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about what were some of the unexpected advantages of living in Memphis. And I assumed that you were going to mention this relationship that took place there and how, um, because I never really knew you to be a relationship guy. Like you had never really been per even pursuing no. anything with anybody the whole time I knew you. You always seemed focused on yourself and just trying to improve, which was admirable. And so, you know, it was exciting to hear that you had found somebody who you wanted to share a part of your life with at least. And uh, now after all this time, it seems like things are more serious, which is awesome. And I'm super excited. How do you feel like you've changed because of that relationship? And, and just, I guess the real question I want to ask is, is how is all of that taking place in Memphis and, and being there away from home for the first time for an extended period of time? And all of that had to be really transformative. Can you ex just talk to me about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the thing about Memphis, and I think that this is the thing um, that makes the experience unique, is um, sometimes people leave and they go to another city um, and they're like, I just need to find myself, right? Like, so I'm going to go to New York City, right? Or I'm going to go to LA, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, like shouts to people that do that because that's also a sacrifice and that's also like a process. But I think the thing about moving to Memphis is that I moved there with an intent, with a purpose, right? Joining Teach for America and knowing that I was moving to a city to fulfill a purpose, which was to become a teacher. And so with that in mind, I knew, all right, once I go to this place, there's going to be some learning. There's going to be some growth. There's going to be a purpose to my day to day when I wake up. Not to say that I couldn't find that purpose here in Louisville. I don't know if that's the case or not. But I think that there were a lot of times at Starbucks even um, that I would wake up and sort of go to work, come home, watch some TV and think to myself, what, what, what is this? What's, what's my purpose? Like what's, what's the bigger picture? What, what really matters to me? And so thinking about like having a partner then is like, what do I talk about with regards to what drives me, what motivates me, what gets me excited and so when I moved to Memphis and started teaching and figured out more about myself and more about what I'm passionate about and more about what I want to do, I think that that put me in a better prime position to find a partner, knowing that I wanted someone that was going to be down with um, helping me fulfill my purpose and then me with their purpose. 
Um, but again, this isn't to say that that couldn't have happened in Louisville. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think that the growth that I was able to experience in the first two years teaching in the classroom in Memphis made me prime to be like, okay, I know what my purpose is. I know what this calling is. I'm, I'm figuring it out day to day. And now when I bring a partner in, I'm going to be very intentional and they're mm-hmm. going to know what type of person I am. Right. And it also doesn't hurt to know that like no one in Memphis knew me. So I had yeah. no, like I have you no could reputation. Reinvent yourself. Yeah. I can reinvent myself in a way. Right. Like I'm always going to be me, right. All of my habits, good and bad are going to follow me. I can't just move to a city and, and stop doing, um, you know, like weird shit, like picking my nose. Right. <laughs> like I'm not going to stop. Like I'm in Memphis. I'm a, I'm a no nose picker anymore. No, I still do that stuff. Right. So those habits came back. Um, but the difference is I see this landscape. I meet these different type of individuals that I'm not, I guess, prejudging based on what I think I know about them. Like, oh, you're from the East End? I already know about you. You're from yeah. the South End? Oh, man, I already, I probably knew you. I already know <laughs> about you, right? And so I already have like these preconceived ideas about people. And so I'll self-select who I want to be close with. But in Memphis, I don't know any of these people. I don't know anything about your life experience. Right. Or you're from Pennsylvania. I don't know anything about Pennsylvania, so I'll give you a chance. And I'm glad that I that I have with those folks because I've led in a lot of people from a lot of different places in the world. And I've s- sort of put down that barrier that says, well, I'm a South End boy. Right? I went to s- school in the South End, middle school, high school. My people are South Enders. Right. They're not East Enders. They're not Indiana folks. They're not blah, blah, blah. There's not that precedent in Memphis. Right? I'm just like a guy who's trying to figure himself out, figure the city out. And so anyone that's going to like jump along in that journey. Cool. I'll give you a chance. Cause I don't know anything about you. That's awesome. And so were you, it, it seems like you were really intentional about bringing uh, your partner. I don't want to mention your name if you're not cool with that. I mean, you can. Okay. Andrea. If you, if you, uh, <laughs> you were really intentional about bringing her into your life mm-hmm. at a point where you were prepared to, already prepared to grow and to expand into a new person and you were ready to take on the challenge of, of being in a relationship with someone else. Absolutely. So I feel like I got something very similar to what you have accomplished, which is my wife also really is prepared to take on my journey with me. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. Uh, and more than that, she's ready to support me because she's much more capable than I am in many, many ways. <laughs> And I did not come into that relationship intentionally. I got lucky. I stumbled into it at a bar and I was just <laughs> just Literally. charismatic and enough and just charming <laughs> enough to fool her into marrying me. That's a hundred percent how I feel about it. Which might be ridiculous. <laughs> okay. But it's a it really, really is. So I think it's really awesome that you were able to choose that. And I just feel really lucky that I was able to have that by accident. But <laughs> killing me. Um, sure. But it's but it's it's really cool that just to see your all's relationship happen, and just like just to talk with you guys both last night, and just to feel the chemistry, and to see how similar you guys have seemed to be now, but also just very different personalities, also. Yeah. Which is fun. But I figured that part of the reason why you seem to love Memphis so much because it seems like you do love Memphis 100% is part of the all part of that is also because you met someone that you love very much while you were in Memphis yeah um in her and in sort of adjacent off of that I think um also the connections I've made with people period in that city I think is what makes that city special to me and so I I think it took a long time before I finally figured out why people build and this is actually what i want to research as a research this is my area of sociology that i'm trying to go into is place attachment um the attachment that people build to certain places and like what psychologically goes on and why people build those um because that's that's something that i took for granted as a kid as a teenager so on and so forth there were certain places that i just remember so fondly in my life because those are the places that i would do life with other people right i think about places like dixie dozen right once upon a time yes yeah oh yeah the dirty does it a whole lot of very interesting things happen to dixie doesn't yes. <laughs> we know anyone from the south that knows that place is a it was doomed to be condemned at some point because it was whew, it was a place no holes barred it was no rules over there but i you know beyond that i it was like it was like a hangout place right and yeah. so 
when I wanted to connect with people, it was like an easy thing to say, all right, let's go see a movie, right? And I would just like get into trouble with my friends, sneak into movies. There was that little arcade. There was. Attached exactly. to the movie theater. There's an arcade. There's, when I think about that, I'm like, man, I, there are like, there were locations that made this made it a little bit easier um, for me to congregate with people. And so the, I think the reason that I love Memphis so much is the people, right? And the city itself and its history and stuff like that, um, I love too. But is the city perfect? Absolutely not. But I will ride or die for that city. And I, no matter if I move or if I stay in that city, would call, almost call that my like home, right? And when people ask me where you're from, I'm, it's hard not to say Memphis, right? Because I know that they, like Louisville, I love, right? Because I grew up here. But I think Memphis is where I, where I really sort of figured out purpose. You became who you were in became, Exactly, in Memphis. And so that's why I love that city. It has necessarily nothing to do with, you know, the fun that I have in that city or the cool buildings or the pyramid, right? Like, it's not so much about the places specifically. It's about what you can do in those places and how many of those places exist in that city. And so I found my places in Memphis that I regularly connect with people. And I love those places because were it not for those places, would I have a place to congregate with these people that I've built bonds with? I don't know. And so I know that there's joy in traveling and going place to place. But at some point, I think for everyone, we want to find a place where we feel connected, where we feel rooted, where we feel like we've made beautiful connections with people. And we can't imagine doing life full time anywhere else. Do you think... Uh, kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, part of the reason why you feel those strong bonds is because you were in TFA, Teach for America, Correct. and a lot of the people you were spending time with were teachers, mm -hmm. and you were all, again, grinding it out and struggling Literally. through this really, really difficult, and some would even argue at the moment, impossible job. Mm. I am also a teacher and if, if people are listening to this podcast, they probably know me and they probably know that, but, right. but being a teacher has changed who I am in a very profound way. It's, it's forced me to become a more organized person. It's forced me to become a more prepared and intentional person. Um, but it also has challenged me to stay positive through lots of adversity and, um, to realize how important it is for me to grow and for me to constantly trying to be a more capable and compassionate and loving and kind person mm -hmm. um, in an environment where it's so easy to become negative and toxic. So how did you deal with that while you were there, just the negativity of it? And how did growing through that experience kind of shape who you are now gosh yeah and i think that that's the um i think that's also the obstacle to get past um, for a lot of people is that the the thing that you can always default back to is that right like commiserating and 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 hating things and being upset and being frustrated because it's that's like the thing to do right um and so i think the thing that i had to circle back to was uh, building connections with um, obviously like Teach for America is the organization, but like folks that have been through it for a long time, right? So third, fourth year teachers and even people who have come out of the classroom and I've seen them rejuvenated or um, I've seen them and they've had to help me tackle my bias and, and tackle my deficit mindset that I've, that, you know, that I built. Because a month into being a teacher, I was like, nope, <laughs> There's, are you out of your mind? Yes. Like we have to do what? How much time with these kids? Yes. You're kidding. It's not happening. Because you had like 100 minute block periods, right? Yeah, 105 minutes. Wow. So we're an hour and 45 minute block periods, <sighs> right? And so imagine entertaining anyone for an hour and 45 minutes every other day. I hated it. Mm -hmm. And they hated it too, right? And so I was like, this isn't sustainable. This is ridiculous. These kids can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and the thing that I had to come back to, because when I would go home, it would be the same conversation. Two out of my three roommates also worked in the same district I worked in. So they very much were like, blah, blah, blah. This is awful. These kids, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, can't, mm, can't sit at home and do this all day. This has got to be something else. And so 
I had to build like a community and, and build relationships with a lot of mentors with Teach for America that would sort of like challenge those negative points of view or make me think about what is it that you're trying to do? How can I do it better? Because by that point, you've, uh, you've, you've given yourself more options. You have two years of teaching experience, right? You've learned about yourself, right? You're an alumni of Teach for America if you did Teach for America. Um, but if nothing else, you've now built a network. And so if teaching is not your thing, you've opened yourself up to so many different options because people oftentimes when they see that experience on a resume, they know that a teaching job is hard. Even if they've never been a teacher, they see it. They're like, okay, like if you've done that for a couple of years, you're a marketable person. We will take you on. And so you have options. And not only that, you're like, you're in, in passion because you understand what's wrong. Right. It's not just about that. These kids can't do it because these kids and these kids alone are incapable. It's all their fault. You realize, no, that's not the problem. It's solely there's so much more of a larger picture issue. The system is doing this to them. And I figured it out. And you're like, damn, now that I figured it out. I got to do something about this or at least like I'm in passion yeah. to do something about this. Or, you know, I've met few and I don't blame them because it is incredibly hard. They're like, this shit is so fucking difficult. I'm out completely. I'm yeah. going to go to corporate America because mm-hmm. this was bullshit. They didn't, they sold me a lie. And I'm like, don't do that. But if you do that, I understand you ain't built for this work. If you know you ain't built for this work, then don't do the opposite thing to kids and make it worse for them. Get out, leave them alone. Let somebody who has that passion to want to be um, great for kids do that work. And then you can go over and do that other work. But you have context. You should know now. Mm-hmm. And so at no point should you ever forget about what those two years taught you about yourself and also about the system and how it works. So you best be, if you working for SunTrust Bank, whatever, you best be thinking about how the disparities exist in your bank and how it's negatively impacting like black realty in your city. You better be thinking about that because if you're not, then those two years, you should have just gone ahead and left after the first day. Yeah. All right. Why did you waste their, their time for two years? Mm-hmm. Somebody else was waiting at the door to do this work and you <laughs> took their spot, man. You better. Psh. See, I don't know. I don't know if there's anybody waiting at the door to do my job right now because there's <laughs> 5,000 teacher deficits in yeah. the state of Kentucky at the moment. True. But I don't know. Right now, I'm trying to be the best person that I can be for my students. I'm trying to stay positive and I'm right. trying to give them. Um, I'm trying to model for them the type of person who is resilient through challenging situations by letting them know that as uncomfortable as they are doing what I'm asking them to do, I'm also uncomfortable doing what I'm being asked <laughs> to do. Like they'll say to me, why do we have to learn this? It's worthless. And I'll say, I think the same thing about teaching it. I know that it's worthless. <laughs> We've got to get through this together. But- and we don't really have a choice. Let's be as positive about it. Let's grow from it. Let's yeah. have positive relationships. And then they'll see me when I'm low and they'll interact with me when I'm low and I'm still kind to them. I'm not as charismatic and I'm not as enthusiastic, right. but I'm still patient with them and still kind. And then they'll see me when I'm when I'm up and when I'm really enthusiastic and they know, and I'm hoping that by seeing me go through these challenges and trying to handle them in a healthy way, that that will be impactful to them. Mm-hmm. But I do also feel like in the long run, I'm probably not cut up to be a teacher. I don't want to escape to corporate America, right? which is why we're making this podcast right now. And I would right. hope that this could potentially develop into something that could allow me freedom and also allow me a platform to talk about the lessons I've learned in the classroom. Yeah, for sure. Because I am a much different person. I, I genuinely feel like it has made me a more tolerant and more compassionate person. Um, I feel like such a privilege um, having been in the classrooms that I've been in and and getting Mm -hmm. to interact with the students that I'm getting to interact with because their challenges are, are just above and beyond what I ever had to experience. And my life was not easy at all. So just having that perspective and also using that perspective to, put a different spin on how I view my interactions with adults Mm -hmm. because all adults are is just old kids. You know what I mean? And so all of the baggage that my kids are, are dealing with in a very transparent way now that's causing them to make all these bad decisions and causing them to, 
um, shirk responsibilities and have unhealthy relationships and be dramatic and anx- anxious and depressed and stuff like that. Those same patterns of behaviors exist in adults. And a lot of times when I have negative interactions with an adult, at the worst times, I hate that person. But at when I'm my best, I see it what it really is. I see it that person dealing with something that I have no idea of. Mm-hmm. And it just expressing itself in this negative interaction that they're having with me. Yep. And so I'm glad that I've been able to be in the classroom for that reason. I hope to take what I've learned and use it to help me build stronger relationships with other people. Yeah. But I do not understand how people like I work <laughs> with a woman who is so passionate and, and enthusiastic every single day. And she is firm with these students. Like, there is no ground given. They meet her expectations or she is pestering the shit out of them until they do. And a lot of them don't like her, but a lot of them accomplish more in her classroom than you would expect them to ever, much, much more than they're accomplishing in mine. Yeah. And the rigor is high and they're growing through it and they're suffering through it, but that's part of growth. Yeah. Part of growth is suffering through it. So I don't know. How long has she been in the classroom? Do you know? I think, Eight years. Okay. I think she's been at the school that I teach at for four. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's really, really interesting. I think every generation, um, and I hope this isn't true, um, that we're going to see that less and less teachers stay. Yeah. Because education has changed so much, and the challenges that exist in the classroom um, are different than what they were whenever my teachers that retired, you know, after 20-plus years in, in, in the school um can handle right there's so many different factors that go into it economically is this sustainable well i have my pension yeah um and then too like the problems and the things that kids bring into the classroom technology wasn't you know there wasn't an impetus for technology like what we have now um and so like it's so much of society has sort of changed and evolved education hasn't to evolve with it and so we're still trying to get people to do the same thing that they did they've done, excuse me, for a hundred years with unique challenges that education has not tackled. And so I think you're going to see less people be able to stick with it because they're going to get into it and try to do what their teachers did right once upon a time. But then eventually they're like, this is impossible. I can't do the same things my teachers did. I cannot. Right. And so you have less and less teachers that have this tenure Mm -hmm. that are giving, showing these great skills to their kids. And I think the burden of that will be picked up by technology and that the sad truth is that kids in low socioeconomic areas will be educated with computers. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid that, that those tra- unless something dramatic changes and there is a humongous reformation of the education system, mm-hmm. that's the direction I see it going in because more and more of my students are dropping out so that they can do e-school and many of the students who are having a difficult time finding success in a traditional classroom mm-hmm. are doing what they call ingenuity or other like internet-based uh, classes that teach them the content in a very regimented way online and that's much, much cheaper than a human. Yeah. And it also provides the opportunity to, in some ways, it's there's a good argument that it might be better because you can have individualized lessons, collecting data, and synthesizing that data from student-by-student student basis, which is mm-hmm. what they're asking teachers to do already, and yep. it's impossible. And it's incredibly hard to do you with 100-plus kids. Well, yes, I have 150 students. They're like, how are you using this mastery prep data? I'm like, I'm not. I can't. <laughs> I, I'd I, like I'm to. looking at it. I'm seeing 150 different scores broken down into 30 or 40 different um, representations of data all in front of me, all trying to tell me different things about how my student has learned, all telling me basically that my student is years away from being able to understand the content that I'm supposed to be teaching them tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and I'm supposed to be bridging those gaps in my classroom over the next 180 days, and we've got four years' worth of deficits to make up plus teaching this content. And I think to myself, like if I could fix all the problems in my student's life, Mm -hmm. like I could teach you my entire nine, uh, my nine standard curriculum that I teach over 180 days. I could teach it to you. If you would give me two hours a day, 
I could teach it to you in three weeks. I believe that. <laughs> you I know believe what that. I mean? Yeah. If we could raise our our kids' um, quality of life to the same position as ours where money is an issue, but it's an issue that we've got under control. Our relationships are obviously an issue, but we've got those relationship things under control. Our mental health, still an issue, mm-hmm. but we're managing it. And it's reasonable. We could teach our kids so much and they have so much access to information that our generation didn't have and previous generations didn't have in the internet Mm -hmm. so that we wouldn't really even need to be teaching them. If they were self actualized, they'd be consuming that information ravenously themselves because it makes them more capable of navigating the environment that they're a member of now. But my kids are so bogged down with all of the trauma that they're experiencing at home and they don't know how to handle their relationships in in a a healthy way because they've never seen it done. They've never seen it represented in their lives. So their relationships are all a wreck and the Mm -hmm. way that they view themselves is totally skewed and, and they're suffering from all of these different cognitive biases that they have no idea or even a problem and definitely don't have any idea of how to handle. Right. And how do you answer those problems and deal with those problems when your boss is also telling you, teach them how to factor quadratics. They have to pass this test or we lose money. Yeah. That's, and again, that's the the massive reformation that um, education needs to take um, to sort of like get out of itself um, and to, um, essentially wrap around um, and tackle all of those other systemic problems and tackle all of those like life problems like trauma. Um, And again, I think we're starting to see those um, show up a little bit more. I know, for example, there is an elementary school in Memphis that um, does uh, neurofeedback training for elementary school kids. Um, And so their whole thing is based upon a lot of mindfulness practices um, as they enter kindergarten and first grade, because we know what the data says is that kids even entering kindergarten have already built up trauma. Absolutely. Um, And so, with that we before we can even before i cram more stuff into your tiny little pea brain five-year-old we need to pull out all this the stuff that was already crammed in there that was negative right and so once i can pull that out then i'll start but the problem is education feels like oh man we've got this limited amount of time and we got to cram all this in asap and so i'm not going to worry about all the crap that you've been through we got to start day one hit the ground let's go ahead and get you learned that doesn't work with kids because their capacity is already they're running at 100 percent like an iphone from 2010 right when you run out of storage and you want to take more pictures you got to delete everything but what we're trying to do is we're trying to take more pictures store it in the storage and there is no more storage right we're trying to force it in and we're seeing the results of that which is kids are behind kids um uh, aren't um hitting those same metrics so on and so forth we're seeing that because of those things that we're not doing well enough and education should be at the forefront of that but we but they haven't they've instead decided well we just need to bump up the rigor and then they would get it right we just need more remedial blah 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 yeah. and we'll get it right we need a tool something educationally to help get it right it has nothing to do with the curriculum you can change the curriculum curriculum all you want but if it doesn't tackle those bigger issues that kids are coming in a classroom with, you're wasting your time. And there's also this weird expectation for everyone to reach the same place at the same time. At the time. same time. Like who, when has that you're ever 18 been years a old, reality? You're all, you all are here. Yes. No. That's, no. For anything. No, we never do that. Never I, like, all right. And I relate with that in such a profound way because I feel like I'm always behind. Right. I feel like I'm always finally reaching like a um, a maturity milestone and I'm always just like, oh, now I understand why my friends were behaving that way because there's actually a benefit to this as long as you're willing to give up like staying up until one o'clock in the morning and binge watching Netflix, you can wake up at 7.30 in the morning and go for a really nice walk in nature. Right. And I'm only discovering it like in my 30s. Yeah. So... If I, a person who I feel like is pretty capable and and relatively intelligent, feel often like I'm hitting milestones behind people around me, how can we expect a student who's dealing with all the trauma that we've already laid out to reach the exact same 18-year-old high school milestone as a governor's kid? It's crazy. 
it's uh yeah it's the it's the puzzle that we keep trying mm-hmm. to jam the same piece into um without ever stepping back and really looking at the puzzle and figuring out yeah is this even the right piece is this even the right puzzle yeah and we just haven't done that it's so interesting but i guess it's one of those conversations we could probably talk about forever we yeah yeah part two absolutely we should definitely <laughs> do a part two it's so interesting <laughs> because yeah I want to do a, a friend's podcast, and this definitely fits into that, but I also want to do some type of educator's Education, podcast. Yeah. So what I'm hoping is I'm going to put this in the friend's podcast, and then right. people will listen to this, and then they'll think, oh, wow, I'd also love to hear that education podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, um, if you want to hear Angry Educators, you should check it out. Yes. It's another one of our podcasts that we're doing here at uh, Mitch Embry Studios. I'm not even sure if we're calling it that yet. I'll probably edit this out. Uh, but Brian, you've got to go. You've got places to be. Dude, You're a busy man. You got a wedding. Are you marrying this couple? I am. I'm officiating this. You crazy this. person. I know. I How many has man. it been so now? Uh, about nine. Nine couples that yeah. you've that you've united in marital bliss. Pretty crazy. But again, at, these are the moments I reflect on. Like they chose me. Yeah. <laughs> like, because people my. love you. You're super Praises lovable, it. dude. Well, hey, man, I love the opportunity to have this conversation. Thank you so Thank much you. for sitting down with me on the couch. 100%. I hope you guys have an amazing time at the wedding. All right. And that's a podcast. Let's do it again. Cool. Bye, man. <laughs> that's fun. All right, guys, so that was the podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. I'd like to give a big shout-out to Brian Williams for making it up and sitting down with me to have that conversation. Nowadays, it really is a challenge to to get together with your friends and, and just fellowship and, and spend meaningful time together. So if you're listening to this, that means that you're my friend and that our relationship is important enough to me that I've shared this podcast with you And I would like to share our podcast with the rest of our friends. So if you're interested in sitting down with me on the couch and having a conversation, please reach out to me. You guys have my number. We're friends on Facebook. You don't have any excuses. We could sit down and also have a super fun conversation. And then we can share it with each other so that we can have that opportunity to really spend time together when we don't actually have time to spend time together. So if you want to be on the podcast, please reach out. We'll make that happen. Everybody else, I love you, and I hope you have a great day. Bye.